Amy and Evan, thank you for blessing the room with that. Good morning, friends. And that felt good. Good morning. Good morning. Isn't that cool? I yeah. love it. Welcome to our uh, 945 service on this, the third Sunday after Epiphany. Welcome to those of you in the room. Uh, we know, as always, many more who are joining us online. It's good to worship together in this way. You know, somebody at the 8.30 service asked me uh, if you get extra credit for coming in person uh, on a cold day like this. My answer is, it depends on where you're from. Like, if you're from Minnesota, no. <laughs> but Louisiana, sure, yes. Anyway, uh, welcome. And a lot of you are visiting with us. We're really honored that you have come, and we hope you'll come back. We hope you'll leave us some contact information. Um, I'm a friend this morning with my friend and colleague, Dr. Uyan Kim. You can tell them how to do that and other things. Friends, it's grateful to be together. May you encounter the graceful presence of God as we worship together. There are several ways that you can let us know who you are, especially if you're a first-time visitor or relatively new. There's the physical hospitality pass at the end of your pews. There's a QR code at the back of your bulletin that you can use your smartphones for. And for those of us online, wherever you may be, there's a link that you can click on to let us know who you are, how we can be in connection with you, and pray for you as we journey together. As always, we invite you to read through your bulletins for the various ministries, new and ongoing. One thing that we wanted to highlight for you, Kate Bowler, who is an author and a theologian from Duke Divinity School, she'll be with us a week from tomorrow to have a conversation with our own Dr. Howe here. So we looked forward to that time and hope to see many of you there. It is good that we are gathered into space. Let us continue to prepare our hearts for worship.
friends, please remain standing as we confess our Christian faith and the faith of the Christian Church through the Apostles' Creed as found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our God is good and gracious to forgive. When we come before God to confess of our sins, I invite you to turn our attention to the bulletin as we pray the prayer of confession in unison. Let us pray together, friends. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow into your likeness. Amen. Hear the good news, Christ died for us while we were yet still sinners. That proves God's love toward all of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is Mark chapter 1, beginning with the 14th verse. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. When I hear anything now from the uh, Bible, and especially when it names the Sea of Galilee, I find myself uh, filled with a kind of, um, I don't know, longing and yet pain. Um, I'd love to take people to the Sea of Galilee. It's such a beautiful place, and I just wonder if I'll ever be able to do that again. I I think I could get there, but taking a group would be a challenge. Uh, We grieve over What's going on in Gaza, you know, it's, uh, it's the perfect example of the way horrors beget horrors. This thing didn't start on October the 7th. It's been breeding for centuries, literally. Decades of tension there uh, between Israelis and Palestinians. And then a lot of that started because of you know, European arrogance, trying to arrange the rest of the world against other people's will. You ha- I used to say German anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is all over the world, and that's why Jews wanted a homeland. The world's so broken, it's such a fallen place. Jesus came to such a broken, fallen place where there are impossible choices and no easy answers. Uh, after 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus, I love this, Jesus strides into the Galilee. It's a, it's a beautiful place. It's a lake, hills around green much of the year. It's, it's absolutely lovely. Still in pretty pristine condition, not too modern. There little fishing villages that dot the coastline, and you can see the remains of stone houses from the time of Jesus. Uh, Most people in those days in that place, uh, fishing was their industry. They exported fish um, all over the world. Uh, We can find uh, the remains of synagogues that date back to the time of Jesus, gray basalt stone synagogues, the People who lived in those little towns, they were poor, but on the Sabbath, they would go to those synagogues. And why did they go? They were seeking some kind of blessing from God. They were looking for some kind of hope, meaning in their lives. For the same kind of reason that, why'd you come today? For the same kind of reason that you came today. So looking for a little hope, looking for a little healing, looking for a little purpose. And Mark shares with us, Jesus said a lot of things. Jesus traveled all over and preached a lot of sermons and told a lot of stories and had a lot of one-on-one conversations, but Mark sort of puts it all in a nutshell for us. And the nutshell of, of, of Jesus preaching, talking, everything was repent, repent. And repent isn't, oh God, here's my apology for what I did that was wrong. And repent isn't groveling in shame. Repent is simply like you change your mind. You get with the program. You join the movement. You say, I, 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 I want to be with him. I, it, I want to get with it. I want to invest myself in the things of God and leave behind the two-bit life that I've been leading that seemed kind of cool a few minutes ago until I thought much about Jesus. Uh, one of the things that Jesus says over and over in this text and so many of them is Jesus says, it's time. It's time. There's a Greek word, chronos, for time, but there's another word that's the one that's used here, kairos. Chronos time is like, what time is it? Like, there's a clock. You guys may not know this. There's a clock up there. It says right now it's 10 o'clock. I think they put that there so I might not talk too long. 
So if it gets to like 10:18, you know, raise your hand like it's time, right? Not that kind of time, though. When Jesus says it's time, it's, uh, you know this word. You use it sometimes. I was with some of my college buddies on New Year's Eve, and we started reminiscing. I remember the time we took that road trip. Couldn't call the date or what hour of the day it was. It was a time that we had together cementing our relationship, creating memories. There was a time, I don't know what time it was, when I looked at Lisa and thought, oh my gosh, she's the one. Her, this is it. I'm in. I'm all in. I hope she'll be all in. It's time. That was the time. What day, what day was it? I don't remember. What time of day? I don't know. It was time. There's a time for many of us that you look at your aging parents and you realize, you know, they're not, they're no longer the active people that they were. They're beginning to decline. And you realize, oh, it's time for our relationship to change forever. Maybe there's the time the doctor says, it's cancer. I don't know what time it is, but it's time. Everything changes going forward. The last time we were together, I love the last time that Lisa's mom was with her siblings. Uh, we had them all for dinner up in the mountains, and I wish I'd known at the time. I would have made a recording or something. It was so fabulous. They just had a blast. We ate, and then they stayed up until about midnight just telling stories. I mean, that was a time, a time. Jesus says it's time. With Jesus, there's always an urgency. There's always an urgency. You read over in the Gospels, Jesus did whatever immediately. And the disciples followed him immediately. And immediately, it's just immediately over and over and over. There's an urgency. Uh, I've been pastor here 21 years. I think it was my second year here. We engaged in a long-range planning process. It was great. Uh, Dal Balknight was here at 8.30. He uh, led that uh, effort. I remember at our first meeting, we were kind of getting our bearings and Somebody asked Dow, they said, how long is this process going to take? Dow's a real process guy. And Dow said, you know, if it was up to me, it would take four years. He said, if it was up to James, it would take four days. So we'll be somewhere in between, <laughs> which it was. What I love about that strategic plan is we mapped out some stuff that's coming to reality now. We talked about affordable housing. We're building a whole neighborhood of houses here in Charlotte. We talked about taking care of our facilities for the future life of our children and youth. And we set this building going up. It's great when you make plans and they come to be. The coolest part of that strategic plan, though, was our eighth and final point. Who thought to put this in a strategic plan? It's not the right kind of thing. We simply use the word urgency. We hope that our people would have a sense of urgency in their Christian life. How's that in a strategic plan? That's so strange that we wouldn't do what so many of us do. We think, oh, you know, someday, someday, someday I'll, I'll do a Bible study. Someday I'll sign up for a mission trip. Someday I'll join the choir. Someday when things are better settled. Someday, someday. And in the Gospels, the disciples aren't the oh, someday kind of people. They drop their nets and immediately they follow. There's an urgency about Jesus. It reminds me of the movie Goodwill Hunting. Uh, Will is talking to his therapist, uh, Sean, and Sean explains to him how he had tickets to that World Series game in 1975 where Carlton Fisk hit the famous home run, but then he didn't make it to the game. Like, why? He said, well, I met a girl in a bar. <laughs> I had to talk to the girl 
Will meets a girl, Skyler, and finally he gets his life together and he's offered a great job, making a lot of money, but he says, you know, forget the job, I, I gotta go see the girl. Drives across the country to meet up with Skyler. Immediately, they left their nets. Why did they do that? What was it about Jesus? He didn't have like a thick money clip or an entourage around him of dancers that looked really cool. There was something about Jesus that touched them. There was something in them that was, that was missing something despite their successes or whatever with their fishing life and their families and their homes. Something was missing. And when he came, they just immediately, they dropped everything and followed him. I've been struck lately by a verse in Mark chapter 1 that's not in today's reading, but I think it's pertinent. Down in verse 34, you have to ponder this. It says, Jesus cast out many demons. Like, I've been thinking about that for two weeks. Jesus cast out many demons. Like at first you just want to say, good. <laughs> but Jesus cast, it's a thinly populated place, and Jesus cast out many demons. How much suffering was there? How much compassion did Jesus have? But then how much suffering was there? If you think about it, people then suffered from things like people do today, but in those days they attached uh, the demonic to it. They said, oh, they must have demons. And doesn't that make the suffering worse? That it's not just that you're suffering, but people see it and they think, oh, there must be demons in that. Do we do this kind of thing? I, I think we do. I, uh, when I was a kid, we had this thing. I asked in church on the run, I had some children in front of me. I said, do you still do this in school today? And they said, no. And I said, good. When I was a kid, though, there was this phenomenon. I don't know how it got started. It was wicked. Uh, people would say, oh, Rebecca, she's got cooties. <laughs> if you're younger, I can't even explain it to you. It's, it, it wasn't a real thing, but, and it wasn't cool, popular people that had cooties, right? It was always the kind of awkward person that wasn't. I dreaded the day somebody would say, James has cooties, and somebody did one day, and I was like, no, 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 I'm clean, really, I don't have them. I haven't been near the people with the cooties to catch them. I asked this child in church around, do you have cooties today? She said, no, we don't do that. And I said, good. I, I thought, they got something, though. We grown-ups have something, and here's what we've got. It goes like this. Uh, you're hanging around, and people generally cloak what's going on that's hard for them. Because they know if you tell, somebody will raise an eyebrow and do the following. You finally tell something that's going on with you, you may say, um, I have a child that's really struggling, can't hold down a job, or... Uh, I, I, I had a job, I lost my job, I can't find another job. Or I have, uh, in my marriage, this uh, terrible, whatever it is that we explain to somebody. And uh, two things come, and neither are good. One is pity. We veer toward pity. No one wants pity, but we kind of pity them. But then we, go, we resort to blame. In our heads, you don't say it to the person, but in our heads, we think, 
if your child's not doing well, you must have done something wrong. You didn't teach them, or you didn't take them to soccer. I don't know what we think we didn't do. Something that you didn't do right. Your marriage fell apart. Well, you should. We do it to ourselves. People come into me and they say, oh, my husband cheated on me. What did I do wrong to cause him to? We, we do these things. We, we do this blame thing. You lost your job. You must not have worked real well. Or, they don't say it, but we think it inside. And it's just not of Jesus. He cast out many demons. I wonder if what he was really hoping to cast out was that viewpoint that such people have demons. Did he want to cast that out? Christian Wyman is a, uh, I don't know what he is, he's a poet, he's a theologian, I don't know what he is. He, he put out a book recently that's uh, dense, hard to read, and I love it. And he tells in there, that wasn't supposed to be funny, but it's okay. <laughs> anyway, in his book, he tells about, he has a dog named Mac. I wrote about this, I do these bi-weekly emails that, I don't know if you want to get them or not, you can. And, in the, and, and, and his dog Mac, he's like a bulldog, one of these big dogs. And he got Mac from the shelter, so he didn't get him at birth. And then he'd had Mac with him for years, and something was wrong with Mac, so he took him to the vet, and the vet does a thorough exam. And the, the vet comes in to Christian, and says, I don't know how to tell you this, but, but Mac has a bullet in his torso. What? So Christian ponders this, like at some point, somebody shot Mac, and Mac crawled off to die, but Mac didn't die, but he's still walking around all the time with this bullet inside and never complained about it. Nobody knew it was there. Here's what Christian says about that disturbing fact. There is not one person, not a friend, family member, anyone from whom you feel utterly estranged. There's not even a man sitting in the White House and you don't know when he wrote it, so you don't know who he's talking about who does not have somewhere a bullet festering in them. Every one of you, everyone you know, has a bullet festering in them. Maybe not even aware of it themselves. And then he adds this, I feel sure that there is some one pain to which every one of us is called to witness and perhaps ease. Everybody's got something festering in them. That's why people in Charlotte drive like lunatics. It's why the person is rude at the grocery checkout. It's why when you look in the mirror, you don't quite meet your own gaze. Everybody's got something festering in them. And Wyman's right, there's some one pain to which every one of us is called to witness and perhaps he's here. Here's, here's the last thing. When I take groups to Israel, one of the things that I love to do uh, above the Sea of Galilee is take people to Bethsaida. Bethsaida was the hometown of these disciples, these fishermen that Jesus calls. And when you go to Bethsaida, 
kind of cool. They've excavated houses there, and, and some they found fishing hooks on the floor and all. It's perfect, right? Found sewing needles where they would repair their nets. It's great. Beth Satan, you feel good. Home of the disciples is good. But, but then archaeologists came out a few years back and said, mm, that might not really be the place. It might be this other place. Oh, my goodness. And then a third archaeologist comes along and says, it may not be either one of those. It might be this other place. I love that. Because what that means is you're not sure if it's there or there or there. It might be anywhere. <laughs> it might even be here where Jesus comes and calls. It's like that Caravaggio painting. Caravaggio painted Jesus calling the disciples. It's one of my favorite of his paintings. He shows Jesus, and, he, and he's pointing toward these guys, and he's got, he's got the hand like Michelangelo in the creation thing in the Sistine Chapel. He's kind of doing this. And, and, and the, the disciples in the painting, when Caravaggio was painting this, like he needed some models, and so he didn't have any models that he usually used. So he just went out in the street. There were a bunch of guys kind of loitering around there, goofing off, whatever. And he said, come on in here. And they're well, what anything else to do? <laughs> and they came in, and we see their faces today. Like, you were just goofing off one minute, and then mm, you're a disciple forever. I love that. Immediately they followed him. So, friends, I want to say to you, if you are young and you can self-define, if you are young, your whole life is in front of you. Follow Jesus now. Like, don't, don't buy the lie. Society will tell you, do this, do this. Oh, this is cool. Yeah, forget all that. Like, it, it's, it's bogus. Follow Jesus. Like, your life can be amazing. It can matter. You can matter. You can be part of something larger than yourself. If you're older, I know you're thinking, ah, kind of stuck. I'm kind of stuck. I'm already overcommitted. Yeah, pry yourself loose. You only got so much time left. You only have so much time left. Pry yourself loose. If you were in a season of suffering in your life, man, you better stick very close to Jesus because he is the one who will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the one who walked all the way to the cross and died, and the grave could not contain him. That's the one that you want to be close to. If you have trouble in a relationship, it might be a marriage, it might be a friendship, what happens in that kind of thing is you, you're locking horns with somebody and you're trying to work things out, and it's just hard, and it just doesn't, it's, like, it's like you live in Gaza or something. You, just, you can't can't figure it out what to do. If, if you follow Jesus, if you say, what, what, let's follow Jesus. I mean, I got something festering in me, and you do too. Yeah. How about if we follow Jesus and see if somebody else out there has something festering in them? And yet what happens then is instead of doing this endlessly and just you know, decimating one another, you, you turn out. You turn toward the world. <laughs> So we want to go and follow Jesus. We want to serve Jesus. We want to serve Jesus' people. And lo and behold, there's some healing in that. If you, this is a funny thing. I remember this this week. If you got some money, uh, years ago I had Tony Campola come and preach for me up in Davidson. If you don't know Tony Campola, go home and Google him and watch him. He is like the Dick Vitale of Christian preaching. He's got like, he must drink 18 cups of coffee in the morning. It's just like, oh, he's just frantic. And he's really good. He's still alive. He's 88 years old. Anyway, so Tony was preaching for me. He had a great sermon going. And then he comes to, he does this thing. And this is in the early 90s, so you have to do the math. So in the early 90s, he says, what if Jesus has $35,000 burning a hole in his pocket? Does he go out and buy a BMW? 
And I kind of looked at my people, and some were kind of like. <laughs> and one guy walked out of the room, and I thought, man, he must be offended by what Tony just said. He came back in the room when I was about to pronounce the benediction. I'm there with Tony, about to say goodbye. This dude comes back in the room. He comes up. He says, can I say something? What? He said, I went outside and counted. What did you count? BMWs. <laughs> really? He said, yeah, there were 27. And then he added, and there were 24 Lexuses. It was like a fun moment in church life. Tony's point is, if you've got some money, like, what's it for? I mean, for following Jesus, you know, do we put down our nuts? Do we what do we do? Here's the last thing. If you have some time, this is my safest one. I don't know if you've got money burning a hole in your pocket or not, but if you have some time, I know you have some time because that's the one thing we all have. It's the one gift that God has given us. You have some time. Although you feel like a victim of time. I do a lot of times. I look at my calendar, my to-do list, and I feel like a victim. Like, oh, I just if I could just, it's like a hamster running on. Like, oh, I'm just a victim of time. This is false. You, you make choices every day. You make choices. You decide what to do with your time. You have time. And the question is, with the time that you have, can you follow Jesus? <laughs> can you realize you got something festering in you? Can you realize other people do? Can you be part of him? Can you, can you repent? Can you say, I want to get with the program? Not someday, but <laughs> now. Now, my friends, I love you enough to say to you, it's time. It's time. Now. Thanks be to God.
Let's go to God in prayer together. Loving and gracious God, we gather in your house to worship and praise you. In you, we encounter hope that never ends and grace that, that always perseveres. So enable each of us to hear your calling in our lives, to grow into a person who humbly discerns what to do in the light of your will and your desire for all of us. Lord, in your mercy, we always make time for the things that we value most, so we ask your forgiveness for when we neglect to take time to love your words and to love your world as you command. Teach us your truth. May we speak of your truth, not with harshness, but with mercy and joy. Discipline us in spaces of our rebellion and resistance. Forgive us for not recognizing hope in the midst of all of our disappointments and trusting in your resurrection even in the midst of suffering. Lord, in your mercy. And we lament for your children who suffer near and far, our sisters and brothers all over the world, seeking a new home and safety from violence from suffering, people in our nations and even in our neighborhoods, wherever it may be, in need of food, shelter, and refuge. So grant us the vision for peace and justice near and far. 
Let us be drawn away from the comforts that blind us from pain and sickness around us. Instead, let us be convicted of your calling in each of our lives to be agents of your peace and justice so that we may become the image of your love in and through our lives, that we become the agents of change and transformation in our lives and in the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift up all those who mourn today, those who've experienced loss, especially for the family and friends of Lawrence Michael Connolly. We give thanks that you have graciously received your servant into your heavenly home. So God, trusting in your everlasting goodness, we as your people are able to pray the, the prayer with confidence that you taught your disciples to pray as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. As the ushers come forward this morning, we are always reminded that it is through God's continuous goodness and our collective generosity that we're able to provide care for those of us inside the church as well as those outside the walls of our community to engage in ministries of God uh, together. So let us receive our morning tithes and offering with great thanksgiving.
Gracious God, may the gifts we offer today serve God's purposes in the church and in the, in the world for the sake of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Friends, it's been good to be together in God's house. Let me add a footnote to what Uyan said about Kate Bowler coming. Uh, this is real cool that she's coming here. She and I have been friends over the years. Uh, she has a new book coming out that we're asking our whole congregation to join in reading. It comes out this week. doesn't exist yet. It's called Have a Beautiful, Terrible Day. What a great title. Yeah. And uh, we hope you get that book. She'll be here. She's uh, uh, just absolutely amazing. You'll be uh, so blessed by her time. And I heard somebody told me I don't get outside on Sunday morning that there were some parking challenges today. Thank you for persisting in coming. You could stay home, but you came to church, and God is honored by that every time we worship. So, friends, now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore.